Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. I'm joined, as usual, by Linda Gasparella, the co-host of this program, and today we're very excited to have with us a special guest, Tan Tran, who is an expert in currencies, in money, and he joins us to talk as a continuation of a conversation we've been having here about the unbanked. Uh, he is in California. Clearly, he was not born in or could have been born in California, but I have inside information that he was not. Like myself, he's an immigrant. We're always interested to see how immigrants do. Uh, welcome to the broadcast, Khan. Thank you, Luan. Uh, thank you, Linda. Pleasure. Uh, tell me about yourself. What is the name of your company and what does it do? Um, my company is uh, the Vermonti Group. And we're currently publicly traded uh, under the ticker VMNT. Uh, which exchange? Which exchange? Uh, right now, we are on uh, OTC markets. Oh, okay, over the counter, right? Over the counter, right now. And uh, of course, we're doing things to uh, get ourselves uplisted to uh, Nasdaq, and that's that's the goal uh, for the later part of next year. Uh, but what we're about uh, to, to simply put, um, you know. Uh, we, we provide product and services catering to the underbanked and the unbanked. Now, in this country, the government says we have 41 million unbanked people. And for the benefit of our viewers and listeners, uh, the unbanked are those who do not have bank accounts or credit cards or not in the normal sense part of the financial uh, community, the normal ways of doing business they're outside of them. They don't send checks because they don't have banks. They don't pay by credit card. This causes a whole set of unique but very irksome problems. What are we going to do about this, Tan? And what are you doing about it? Well, that's a, that's a that's a very interesting question. That's a that's an actually a, a loaded question, right? Uh, there's many many ways to answer that question. But let's shift back up a little bit, Llewellyn. Uh, sure. You know, cash is disappearing. Uh, that is true, but the fact is, we all still like to get paid in cash. Uh, if you go to a restaurant if, and you ask a waiter, say, would you like, can I tip you, uh, and would you like me to tip you in cash or in credit card, guess what they're going to say, whoever? Well, they're going to say cash, which is they want to rather minimize their earnings for tax reasons. Well, and also, you know, it's just we like, you know, to hold something physical. It's also cash in your pocket immediately, and often people who work in restaurants uh, don't have a lot of money, and it, it's very reassuring to have cash in your pocket immediately. I can say this with some authority because between ventures, once I worked as a waiter, which, by the way, I enjoyed a lot. It was in New York City, and that daily cash in your pocket, something you could feel. It wasn't enough really to buy anything with or pay the rent unless you were careful, that it was reassuring. So there are a lot of reasons people like to be paid in cash. But even so, more and more places, particularly as a consequence of the pandemic, have been disinclined to use cash. And several places I know just stopped using entirely because they didn't want any physical contact with the customer. And we're seeing that even with credit cards, where you now flash your credit card instead of sticking it into the machine. Uh, but you you talked about this in terms of the third world where there is less banking. 
and yet people get by. How does that work? Well, um, you know, if you go look at developing economies like Southeast Asia and, and Latin America, I mean, it, at the ground level, and you've been there many times, uh, as you can see for yourself at the ground level, I mean, you look around, you see so many uh, basic economic pain points. 80% of the transactions uh, is still being carried out in cash. And at the local level, local merchants and even the wet market, uh, you know, mom and pop shops, right? Um, so uh, it's not that um, people don't want to mm -hmm. get banked. It's just that there are certain, you know, challenges to become banked. Uh, and mo the most basic challenge here is that, you know, mm -hmm. the uh, exorbitant fees and also the onboarding process. I mean, for a lot of these people, people that make five, $10 a day, paying $10 a month for a bank account is a lot, is a lot. I mean, that's something that they can use to, you know, basically, um, you know, buy extra clothes, uh, put more food on the table for their family. So, you know, what we got to do here is that we got, number one, we got to ease the, the onboarding process and we got to do away with the, um, the fees. Uh, you know, well, they're always, as a corporation, any business entity, you know, there got to be some sort of a service fee in, you know, in place. But the idea here is that it got to be very friendly, very tolerable. I mean, compared to what's being charged today. Um, if you look at, you know, a typical migrant worker, and this is very common in, in Southeast Asia and Latin America, uh, you know, people leave their hometown to go to bigger cities to earn a living, and usually it costs them five to six percent every time they need to send the money back home. Uh, and then, so, I mean, that takes away a lot of what they earn, and on top of that, if you're asking them to join a bank account, and that's another reduction in their earning. So, I mean, they're very conscious of that. That this business of expatriate earnings, that, that, that they are charged a lot by a lot of services. But supposing they are paid in the United States in a check, which is the common form of payday nowadays, um, and uh, they have to cash that at a check cashing service. They take a fee, then they take a fee for transmitting the money to wherever it is, Bangladesh, Taiwan, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, there's a fee for that. And uh, so the money, you're so right, is being eroded along the way uh, with or without a bank account. But the, the immobility that that individual faces for not having a bank account is considerable. Then we slowly move into the world of credit scores, of keeping track of people. And uh, if you don't have a bank account and if you don't have a credit card, you're not going to have a credit score. And if you save, if you saved enough money to buy a house, you're going to have some difficulty getting a mortgage, although you may have in cash the down payment. So there is a problem here. Uh, that is, that is a problem. I beg your pardon? I, I said that is a problem. Uh, what is your company doing to, to solve it? I understand you have a, a project in uh, mostly yeah, in Asia. So, I mean, we, we are going through uh, what I call the digital transformation phase. I mean, everything is becoming digital. And, you know, uh, money has already been digital for quite a long time now. Uh, I mean, and now we look, we look around, we're all fully embedded with financial services, whether, you know, which, uh, whichever brand you prefer, 
right? Now it comes down to is not doing business with a traditional bank anymore, but you're more like which brand do you trust? Um, and then now you're like surrounded with banking services without realizing because, you know, now, I mean, uh, back in the day, you used to use PayPal to make payments, but nowadays you can take out a loan with PayPal. You can take out a loan with, um, with Square. Uh, that's what I meant by embedded finances. Um, now, let, let, let's look at why do people choose not to get banked, right? And often the, the, um, the simple thinking is that, oh, there must be some doing something nefarious or something shady. That is not always true. I mean, some people just don't trust their money with uh, financial uh, intermediaries. Uh, in, the case, in the case of, let's say, um, you know, migrant workers, right? You got people leaving their hometown, their home country, go to another country. Number one, it's extremely difficult for them to get uh, proper documents to be onboarded because banks are heavily regulated, so they have a certain requirement. You cannot just walk into a bank, a branch, and say that I would like to open up a bank account. You have to prove your residency. You have to, you know, provide your visa. I mean, it's all kinds of onboarding, you know, procedures you got to go through, and that's, you know, on top of that, you know, the uh, the, the fees, right? Fee. So what are we doing about it? I mean, we as a company, we want to basically provide banking services without being a traditional bank. We consider ourselves to be a non-bank institution where we can provide peer-to-peer -peer banking services, meaning that. Um, and it starts with our stablecoin as the uh, the building block, is that now you can transact directly. Uh, you can send money back and forth to your friends, to, re to your relatives, or carry out a basic you know financial transaction, commercial transaction, uh, either you know domestically um, or internationally, without getting uh, a, um, a traditional institution you know um, involved. Ton, um, many of the unbanked. Um, are also not technologically savvy. Um, it's, they don't trust traditional banks, they don't, or maybe they don't like the fees, but at the same point, many of them are not up to speed in technology. Many don't have a smartphone, uh, many do not have a laptop. Um, how are you going to get through your, um, your currency, which is basically an internet cryptocurrency correct a stable coin how are you going to get people to understand what this is and trust this when this is a brand new idea i mean this is even you know this may to them seem even more untrustworthy than the banks that they're stewing right you're a very good question linda okay uh, most people are not tech savvy and they don't need to be Right, it's not about technology. It's about people. You got to focus on the human element. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, everything comes down to saving time and saving money. Right? It's not. It's not about the technology itself. So, in order to do to ease people into what we're trying to do, we got to deploy. We got to focus on the human aspect. Uh, and you um, have you heard about agency banking? So agency banking is a way to expand banking services without physical branches, meaning that you have registered agents in remote areas, in rural areas, that are authorized representatives uh, of your company that can onboard people with, uh, you know, with, uh, providing the, the physical off-ramps and on-ramps. 
and also to introduce people to you know uh, different banking services. Now, the fastest way to drive people uh, to, uh, to, to adopt your service is giving them access to something simple called credit that we take for granted over here, you see? Um, over in developing economies, um, it's not so easy to get access to credit. It's so, it's so difficult for you know, an entrepreneur to take out a loan. Uh, here, we're surrounded, we're like completely overbanked. I mean, simply, you cannot drive a block without seeing you know, a, 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 you know, some sort of an offer from a bank, right? But it's not so outside the US in a lot of countries where, you know, um, yeah, people might have a basic oh. bank account, but having a basic bank account doesn't guarantee them access to full banking services, simple as like credit. So that's what we intend to do, and we've been doing that, uh, and we're going to use that as the um, uh, as the driver to drive user adoption. I'm having a problem understanding how we go from here to there. First of all, you're issuing a coin, which is supported on the internet. Am I correct, or is the correct. internet value supported by the coin, which comes first? No, the coin uh, we have a stable coin is fully USD backed. Meaning that you know is uh, is you know completely fiat backed. Uh, do you have Do you have one with you? Can you lift it up and show it to us? Well, it's a digital coin, so you cannot. Oh, see. I see. It's never right. a physical coin. It's not My a physical coin. Mistake. I'm way too way too literal here. Uh, right. It's a digital coin. It's backed by the U.S. dollar, and uh, but it's traded on the internet. How is it going? Is it popular? Is it successful? Uh, we just not just uh, fresh out the gate. Uh, one of the things that we want to focus on first is, you know, being uh, completely transparent and regulated. Okay, if you look at what's going on with cryptocurrency, now we're entering into a different topic, right? So cryptocurrency and regulation. Uh, if you look at a cryptocurrency right now, uh, the, the entire industry is mostly unregulated. Uh, and the activities around uh, cryptocurrencies are main, mainly for, you know, arbitrage trading not really connected to, you know, to solving real problems and uh, real people. Uh, I mean, you hear about, you know, uh, Bitcoin going up 10%, 20% here and there and different DeFi platforms. It means nothing for regular people at the ground level, uh, you know, and that's what we want to do is number one is to get ourselves in a regulated framework, meaning that, you know, being an SEC regulated entity like we are right now, that's the first step is to, because earlier, Linda, you asked, like, how do we um, introduce trust uh, trust to the, to the the potential user? Well, first thing first is that because the entire industry is mostly unregulated. So the next best yeah. thing is for the entity you're doing business with to be regulated. So we are SEC regulated. We're fully reporting. Everything we do is completely transparent, completely audited, unlike a lot of other companies in the space right now. So that's the first step. And we have accomplished that. And we have a viable product, a market viable product, which is our stable coin. What is it called? What is It's your... called USDV. Uh, it's basically Vermont USD. That's the name. In order to have a currency work, you have to have a willing uh, user and a willing acceptor. We have a divide between the, the people who understand things. We have the digital divide, but we also have another divide, which is the crypto divide. People who understand computers quite well do not understand blockchain 
cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and that whole suite of things that is quite alien to them. And this includes some very sophisticated computer people who haven't gotten into it and don't understand it, and therefore are suspicious of it, because we tend always to be suspicious of what we don't understand. How do you well, overcome I, that? I think people are suspicious of, you know, of, of new te newer technologies, because newer technologies usually, uh, you know, um, it takes a while for regulation to catch up, you see? You know, innovation um, doesn't really wait for regulation, uh, and so for and I'm talking about for for mass adoption of the technology, right? The 99%. Right now, you got already a lot of tech savvy people adopting, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain in general. Now, the other 99%, like what you just said, is still very leery uh, because they're cautious, and they should be. It's just because when it comes down to basic, you know, investor protection. Uh, and and that's what you know. That's what we're focusing on. And we're doing things in step. We we you know we're focusing on doing this for the ninety nine percent of the one percent. So the first thing is to get yourself regulated or as regulated as possible. And next is a viable product with real use cases, real practical uses use cases. So we have a product now. We're working on practical use cases. And what are the use cases? Number one, remittance. You know, cross-border uh, payments, and then lending, right? Lending actually at the ground level, meaning that instead of putting up a DeFi platform where people basically make money off of uh, slippage, we're actually going to deploy the capital at the ground level to real businesses, to real people, and generate sustainable rate of return for you know um, token holders. Uh, connecting, you know, basically at the same time, you're connecting capital from places like the US, the UK, and developed nations to de uh, developing economies. And, and that's what we have in mind. Tan, uh, did I hear you say previously uh, that the Vimonti uh, uh, mechanism is already being used somewhere? Can you tell us where? Um, well, there's several components, uh, right? So it is a, is a whole puzzle and we've been First thing first is that you gotta have, uh, 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 I mean, to, to put it simply, I mean, you gotta have a reliable lending operation at the ground level first. And that's what we've kind of been working for the last two or three years already, okay, to understand actual, uh, you know, what does it take to, uh, to onboard an entrepreneur? What does it take to, to manage, you know, lending operations? I mean, you're talking about real life uh, business operations here. Right, it's not just like oh, I'm trading because I like to make ten percent off of Bitcoin or certain coin because of certain you know the fluctuation. No, we're talking about lending to real people. So we've been working on that. That's one component, and then the next component is the the monetary medium that which we just created our US uh, you know USD uh, stablecoin. Uh, so now you know the next phase is for us to combine to to glue together those components and put you know this to work. Um, we're right in the middle of um, launching our, our form S1 because the question here is the next question is going to say, well, where are you going to find the capital to uh, uh, to do that first, you know, minting batch of your stablecoin, right? Mm -hmm. So what we do right now is we're launching a form S1, and we'll be one of the first in the country to do it for a stablecoin. Um, and we want to kind of like pave the way for other companies to do it too. I mean, do 
show people that you can actually do this in a transparent, regulated way. And we're going to use some of the proceeds to um, to, uh, to to make the first batch of tokens, and then we'll put those tokens to work. And then, you know, when slowly, when people see that we're actually doing this for real and their credi credibility behind this, and that's how you drive user adoption. It's just that simple. Okay, Tom. It, so it's not being deployed right now. You're just in the workup stage of of the S1. Uh, it's actually being deployed in beta cases. So it's not uh, uh, ready for general availability yet, but okay. it's actually being tested. And we're actually working with many technology uh, partners. Okay. Um, how long has your company been in business and how has it sustained itself while working towards this, this uh, currency uh, play? We've been around since the beginning of 2016 and how we've been sustaining ourselves is just based on uh, the, the one division that we have. Uh, and uh, is profitable, but it's not, you know, it's not a huge division. Which division is that? Uh, this is this is the voice over IP division that we have in the company. Okay. Uh, but we have pivoted uh, from from that business, and we're more focusing on uh, on the uh, cryptocurrency and digital currency uh, and blockchain now. Okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, I, I still have some difficulty in understanding, and uh, need to bring Linda in on this, but understanding how this is going to help the poor. And what the time frame for its availability for the poor around the globe essentially, what that time frame is. Okay, you're talking about you're talking about our stablecoin, how it's gonna solve the problems for the, the for the underprivileged, the underserved. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, it comes down to you know doing basically providing the same services that other people are doing, but it's just faster, cheaper, and easier for the people. And often, like uh, I touch on a little bit about how giving them access to credit is a way to allow people to build wealth, which they then they don't have that kind of access right now. So that's how we can help them. And let's bring Linda in here, but I think you're so right. Credit is the access to building wealth. We saw that in the United States when we made it possible for people to buy washing machines, automobiles, et cetera, on credit. Suddenly, we became a society of owners, having been a society of users uh, in a very modest way. So that's a very important point, I think. Linda. Uh, Tan, how are you going to promote the use of the S1 in these underserved communities? Are you going to do this uh, like a community bank would? So the way we do it, we're going to have to take several approaches, right? One of which is like it's going to be community um, focused. Uh, so there are community lending operations, uh, you know, community um, banking. Uh, I mean, there are community focused, you know, banks in place already that we can work with. Uh, with and also we are we have a partnership. So the um, uh, the one target market that we have on our list right now is Vietnam, which is the number one uh, uh, in the world right now in terms of cryptocurrency adoption and blockchain adoption. So that, that's that's not a coincidence. So we actually been planning around that. Uh, we have a partnership with a bank at the ground level, people come bank. So for us, it's always everything we do is about being regulation friendly and also feature proof. 
So we operate behind you know, established and licensed entities. So we have that partnership in place already with PB Come Bank. So if you answer your question, uh, Linda, uh, it's not uh, just a simple way to do it. We, we have to take several approaches. And one is to, you know, to work with community leaders, uh, community banks, and also forward-thinking banks like PB Come Bank, where we can actually help them expand their products and services because at the same time, you know, we also bring in on customers to their core banking services as well under our old brand. I was going to say that the community aspect of it is really important. And, and then why is that important too? Because again, I, I, I keep going back to the human element because when you do consumer lending, when you do small loans, you're essentially talking about unsecured lending, right? Unsecured lending, that means you gotta do physical DD, meaning that you have to know who you're lending to. I mean, it's a simple question when you do in the credit business, what do you do when people don't pay? What do you do when people don't pay? Everybody can land, but, but can everybody collect? You see? Uh, so the community aspect and using agency banking approach and introducing the human element uh, is extremely important because not everybody is gonna have, you know, be able to qualify for the sophisticated onboarding process, full KYC AML. So, but, but they can still be onboarded using, uh, um, you know, an agent, uh, an, an authorized agent to do that. And that authorized agent in a way is responsible for, you know, approving credit applications as well. We're coming towards the end of our time. Um, but first, I want to tell you that I've interviewed thousands of businessmen and never have I met one who wanted to be regulated, particularly by the United States government. That well, I think regulation is good, Llewellyn. Not too much regulation we were not for, right? But I think it's important where, you know, uh, at this stage where we're making the transition into cryptocurrency, digital currency, I think, you know, to, again, to bring on board 99%, I think regulation is that critical piece. That um, going back to something else uh, you said, if I can, and that is uh, using agency. One of the more interesting examples of financial agency in my experience, was the British postal system in Britain and in other countries where you had savings account, you could buy a money order, you could pay a lot of bills. In fact, the British postal system was the banking of last resort, but nobody realized that. It was just a jolly nice thing to have. Uh, the post office went in a different direction in the US. Postal banking is still very much prevalent in a lot of countries. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and guess that. what? The USPS is now talking about bringing back postal banking. Okay. Guess what? Because we are, as we become more um, uh, transformed into, you know, digitalization of banking services, now you see a lot more exclusion instead of inclusion, right? And so this is why, you know, the USPS is now talking about stepping back into providing basic banking services. So I think you know, it goes back to the saying, you know, uh, Llewellyn and, and, you know, Linda is like, the more things change, the more they remain the same. That's our show for today. Uh, we'll be back next week. Meanwhile, let's relax and enjoy the beauty of autumn. I plan to. Cheers. We are now available as a podcast. Search for White House Chronicle in Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite audio platform and subscribe to never miss our weekly shows.